Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey everybody, I'm Jeff Lambert. As I mentioned last week, uh, working on this podcast has given me a new appreciation for creators and their dedication to their craft. I've mostly ignored these people when they ask for a moment to write a review or toss them a few dollars on Patreon or even recommend them to friends. But doing these small things, as I've found out, they matter. Whether you're a creator like a podcaster or a vlogger or a writer or a social media personality, all these people put themselves out there because they love their subject material. They want to build and connect with a community of like-minded followers. And that's what I'm trying to do as well. So that support means everything. Those subscribes, those social media comments, those emails, and even that financial support, it gives us the lift we need to keep doing what we're doing. It reminds us that what we're doing matters to somebody else and that we do indeed get to connect with someone else through this medium. So last week I talked about a creator that I enjoyed. This week I want to point out another one. So I want to give a shout out to uh, a personality named Irfan Elijah, who runs a show with some guys named Leander, Buster, and Lewis. They have a podcast called The Cult Cast. Now for those of you that know me, I'm a fan of Apple products, and without fail, every week these guys, they talk about the latest news surrounding Apple products. And you can get that a lot of places, but the chemistry between these guys, it's engaging and it's downright hilarious most of the time. And they're the kind of guys that you'd want to grab a drink with at any time. So that makes the show to me worth listening to on a weekly basis. So you can find their show on any major podcast platform by searching for The Cult Cast. So check them out. Irfan, keep doing what you're doing. I'm enjoying it. Thanks, guys. Okay, let's get to our episode. Enjoy. Baseball has a tradition of growing alongside religious movements in U.S. history, and it's no surprise that the two have had a close relationship with one another. From the late 1700s into the mid-1800s, when baseball was in its infancy and trying to find that cohesive professional identity, you would never see a game played on a Sunday. Sports Illustrated writer Frank Defford summed it up in a 1976 article called Religion and Sport, that, quote, throughout American history, going back to Cotton Mather and beyond, Sunday was tightly structured and well-defined as a day of peace, worship in the morning, then a heavy meal, leavened with the fellowship of the entire family, followed by rest and rumination, end quote. This didn't change as time went on. During the 1950s, during a religious revival period in America, which occurred after the end of World War II, 
Baseball wouldn't dare schedule any games on Sunday night like we're used to today, lest it conflict with Sunday night Vespers services. But with that last national revival period that occurred, churches eventually ceded Sunday to sports, and churches began building services around the new gods of Americans. But that doesn't mean religion and sports have become at odds, especially in regards to baseball. Writer Frank Defford again goes on to say in that article that, quote, as the American reverence for the saints of sports declines, religion itself has increasingly become a handmaiden to sport. Clergymen are standing in line to cater to the spiritual needs of the deprived athletic elite, and the use of athletes as amateur evangelists is so widespread that it might be fairly described as a growth industry. Keep in mind, this was written in 1976. This was before Tim Tebow. But did you know that all 30 Major League Baseball teams host Sunday chapel services for their players? Did you know that many teams keep a chaplain on their payroll to travel with the team to look after the spiritual well-being of their players? Did you know that littered throughout baseball history, we find examples of athletes at great expense to their financial well-being and their public fame? put their faith before fastballs? Let's take a look. The year was 1965. The Los Angeles Dodgers were set to square off against the Minnesota Twins in Game 1 of the World Series. LA fans were confident Their ace hurler, future Hall of Famer Sandy Koufax, was scheduled to take the mound. That was, until Sandy announced to his manager he wouldn't be pitching that evening because of a matter of faith. The day of Game 1 was also the same day as Yom Kippur, one of the most important holy days in the Jewish faith. The day is usually marked with a 25-hour period of fasting, prayer, and time in the synagogue. It's a day dedicated to the ideals of sacrifice, atonement, and repentance. For Sandy Koufax, observing this holiday, as he had done throughout his entire career, was more important than any game, no matter the stakes. For Koufax, he found support from his manager and his teammates, despite the magnitude of this upcoming game. The Dodgers went on to lose that game, 8-2, but they would go on to win the series, mostly thanks to Kovacs' efforts throughout the rest of the series. But the thing is, Kovacs didn't realize the magnitude of what he had done at the time. To him, in his words, quote, it was the right thing to do. To everybody else, especially those of the Jewish faith, it was a major moment of pride and renewed respect for their religion. Michael Paley, current scholar at the Jewish Resource Center of New York, was 13 when Sandy publicly sat out this game. He stated, It was the beginning of changed feelings about being Jewish in America. Because of Sandy, we were admired. With that one act, Kofax helped pave the way for other ballplayers of the Jewish faith so they could stand out for their beliefs as well. In 2001, Sean Green, who was also a member of the LA Dodgers, sat out games that fell on both Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Only 20 years removed from the concentration camps of World War II, 
Sandy's stand for his faith helped remind Jews everywhere there was power in faith when you stood up for it, even through the worst of experiences. Drafted in 1985 by the Chicago White Sox, Edwin Correa was just 19 years old when he put on a major league uniform. In his rookie season, he made four appearances out of the bullpen and garnered attention as one of the top up-and-coming pitchers in the game. In the offseason, he was traded to the Texas Rangers, but Texas intended to put him in the starting rotation immediately, a 20-year-old rookie. There was one issue, though. Correa told his new team that, as a devout Seventh-day Adventist, he could not pitch in any games that fell from Friday night to Saturday night. It was his Sabbath, and he made a stand that his career would come second to his religious beliefs. Because of his potential, the Rangers front office agreed to this request, and came up with a rotation formula that allowed Correa to miss any games that fell on his Sabbath. Edwin responded that season by leading all rookies in strikeouts. He also pitched a complete game shutout against the first place New York Yankees in 1986. He was a member of the Rangers upstart rotation, which were nicknamed the Kitty Corps, and that squad helped an overperforming club finish second in their division that season. Going into 1987, Correa started with another string of strong starts but then he was dealt a blow that would end his major league career when he suffered a shoulder injury. He went through a rehabilitation process that included arthroscopic surgery, and he made a brief reappearance three years later in 1990 with the Los Angeles Dodgers, but it was short-lived. Did this get Edwin down? No, it didn't. He decided to devote his earnings and his professional experience to younger players and he opened a baseball academy in his native Puerto Rico. The Puerto Rico Baseball Academy and High School is a nonprofit school that combines athletics and academics into one curriculum. This school still runs today, and it has notable alumni from the school, which include Astros All-Star Carlos Correa and Red Sox caster Christian Vasquez. The current school director is former Marlins coach Edwin Rodriguez. Edwin Correa is an inspiration to hundreds of young Adventist athletes who have credited Edwin Stan for his faith for helping them put God before their careers. He was dealt a tough blow by losing his career at such a young age, but his dedication to helping others is a testament to what a good man Edwin has shown himself to be. Before we get to our last case, let's take a break for the seventh inning stretch. If you're enjoying the podcast, please, please take a moment and follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Rounders Podcast. That's one word, Rounders Podcast. You'll get photos, quotes, and short event summaries from baseball's rich past in your feed on a regular basis. I also want to hear from you. Tell me the topics that you want to see covered and keep in touch and follow me. I've also started a Patreon account, so if you have $1 or $2 a month, I'd appreciate your support. 
It goes a long way towards helping me upgrade equipment and pay the bills so I can focus on putting together more episodes. If you have the ability to send me five or more dollars a month, I will give you some exclusive perks, such as show notes with photos and research references, some extra episodes, and regular live Q&A sessions with me. If you're interested, just go to patreon.com and search for Rounders Podcast. A link is also available in the show notes. That's all for now. Let's get back to the show. At age 23, Grant Desmay was considered a rare combination of power, speed, and smarts. The center fielder had dominated in college playing for California Polytechnic State University. He led the Big 12 Conference in batting average and home runs his senior year. The Oakland Athletics drafted him with the 74th pick the next year. As he began his ascension up the A's minor league system, he became one of the only minor leaguers in history to reach the 30 home run, 40 steal benchmark in the same season. Desme was playing against other young prospects like Steven Strausberg, Buster Posey, John Carlos Stanton, and Craig Kimbrell. He was outperforming all of them statistically. In 2009, he was named the Arizona Fall League MVP. But in the midst of all this success, this budding potential that everybody around him was excited about for his future, Grant said that he felt empty inside, that something was missing. It wasn't a new feeling. Grant had been feeling this since college, often confiding in priests when he went to Mass. Grant grew up a devout Catholic and never shied away from talking to his teammates about God. He wasn't looking to convert them, he just wanted to talk, to build relationships, and his teammates really enjoyed having him around. Despite that camaraderie, Grant felt like he needed something more in his life than baseball. After that season ended, Grant decided to do some soul-searching. He talked to others, he prayed, he thought about his life 5, 10, 20 years into the future. He decided he wanted to devote that time to his faith instead of baseball. So that off-season, he called up Billy Bean, the A's general manager, and he told them that he was leaving the team to become a priest at St. Michael's Monastery. To Bean's credit, he was supportive. Bean stated in an interview, quote, I grew up in a Catholic family, so what he was pursuing wasn't completely foreign to me. I spent half the conversation congratulating him. Grant's friends tried to change his mind when they found out. They thought he had lost his mind. Who walks away from a major league career, let alone a guy who was a top prospect with an MVP already under his belt? Logan Schaefer, a college teammate and future MLB outfielder for the Brewers and Nationals, called up Grant and tried to change his mind. He said, quote, At first, I really didn't know what to say. Then I realized it's a simple answer. It's how he explained it to me. He knew he had a career in baseball, but his love for God took over his love for baseball. He loved baseball so much but he realized there was something greater in life that he had to do. 
This calling wasn't a one-time thing. Now known as Frater Matthew, the prospect formerly known as Grant Desme lives a life of quiet solitude at St. Michael's Abbey. His order upholds the virtues of chastity, poverty, and obedience. Matthew stated in a recent interview that, quote, It is a cliché, but the more I live this life, it's the crux of it all. Living in the present moment, the future isn't ours. The past is done. It's all right now. Every day you have to get up and choose to be here. That choice was to put God over baseball for Grant. It's not a matter of hits and catches. It's not a matter of money and fame. It's a matter of faith for all of these athletes. Well, thank you for tuning into the show today, everybody. I appreciate your support. And remember, there are only two seasons, winter and baseball. Thank you.